worship team. How many of you like detective shows? Anyone like detective shows? I like detective shows, and for some reason, my two favorites are oldies, okay? I'll just get that right out, because in case you think, oh man, Pastor Corey was alive in the 70s. I was not alive in the 70s. I was born in the 70s. Uh, but my favorite t- uh, detective show is an old show, Columbo. How many of you like Columbo? Oh, man, Columbo's the best. I mean, here's this guy. He's got this old uh, raggedy raincoat. Now, keep in mind, this is in, uh, the show takes place in L.A. No one wears this big raincoat in L.A., but, he, but it's all about his character, and he looks like he's completely out of it, constantly smoking the cigar, and he's on his way out, and inevitably he is, well, oh, one more thing, and he's got to go back in. Now, my second favorite detective show is Monk. Again, a weird guy, all right? He's got a bunch of phobias and all of these idiosyncrasies, and yet somehow he picks up on something that no one else sees. Now, Chelsea and I like to watch these shows together, but we always disagree on which ones are the best shows. See, Chelsea likes the whodunit shows, in which you spend the whole show trying to figure out who committed the murder. I like the shows, and most of the Columbos are this way. I like the shows where they show the crime right off the bat, And then the whole focus of the show is, how is the detective going to figure out who it is? So it's not a whodunit, it's a how-catch-em type show. And so the surprise is, how is the detective going to figure it out? Not in, who is the the criminal? Our, Our passage this morning is full of surprises, In fact, as I read uh, Ruth 2 this week, that was the thing that jumped out at me the most, is how many surprises are throughout this chapter. But but it is not a whodunit type surprise. It is a how-catch-em type surprise. You see, we're not trying to figure out a murder uh, mystery here, but but we are going to figure out how are Ruth and Naomi going to be helped by the Lord. And right off the bat, we're given the name of the person who's going to be their redeemer, so to speak. He's going to be the one that offers them hope. And his name is revealed in the very first verse. And then the surprises come with how he uh, is going to uh, bring, bring help to Ruth and Naomi. It's a passage full of surprises. And as we look at these surprises, I just want to say off the bat, uh, the hope for us as Christians in this passage is that there are surprises all over our lives. You see, sometimes we are in the place of Naomi and Ruth. And we wonder, where is God's help going to come from? And we might be wondering, all right, but the thing is, God is our Redeemer, and he, prov- he provides help for us. Let's go to the passage right away, verse 1. We're, do- we're looking at Ruth 
2, 1 through 23, all, all uh, 23 verses of this chapter. And as I said, right away we're given a little clue here in the first verse. Now, Naomi had a relative on her husband's side. Just to catch you up to speed in case you haven't been here the last couple weeks, Naomi is uh, the, the older, char- uh, one of the main characters in this book, the older lady who has lost her husband, Elimelech. He has died, and her two sons have died. And so she's in a desperate situation. Now, Naomi had a relative uh, on her husband's side from the clan of Elimelech. That was her husband that passed. And this relative, it says, was a man of standing. In other words, he had influence. He had power. He's the type of guy, he had wealth. He's the type of guy that he says jump and his workers say how high. I mean, this guy had, power, had influence. He's a man of standing. And now we're introduced his name, whose name was Boaz. And, the, and Ruth, the Moabitess, uh, man, I always struggle with that one. I'm sorry. Moab, Moab Ites, Moabites said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind someone, behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Now to put, us, put ourselves in this story, let's just take a minute and I want you to imagine, take yourself back in your life to some of the most difficult days that you have had. Times where you were really stressed out. You maybe were so depressed that it was hard to get out of the house in the morning. There have been days where you'd rather have just spent all day in bed than than get out and face the world. And right here in this passage... Uh, Ruth chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, it says that Ruth says to Naomi, let me go out and find grain. And I wonder, why isn't Naomi going out? Now, I know I'm speculating here, but the reason I think that Naomi doesn't go out is because she just doesn't have the emotional energy. She's just in, today is one of those days And she just says, Ruth, you go out and do it. I'm just going to stay at home. Naomi's uh, name means pleasant, and she's still telling people to call her Mara, which means bitterness. Naomi is in this funk, and 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 it's not a funk that's unjustified. For goodness sake, she's lost her husband and her two sons, and she just doesn't have the emotional energy to go out into the fields and search uh, for grain. And so Ruth says, I will go. Now, the scene is bleak, and so uh, I imagine that uh, uh, Ruth goes out into the fields, and she doesn't know where she's going. She just goes to the field that uh, is closer to us, closest to her, and chances are she takes her bucket, and she begins to follow those that are harvesting the fields. The passage will go on to tell us that this is the harvest season for barley and for wheat, Now keep in mind that she's not allowed to go and just pick the grain off of the stalks. Like that would be stealing. I mean, there are are people out there that are professional harvesters. And they're they're very good at their work, I, I imagine. This is what they get paid to do. And so they're not missing much grain. 
And all she's allowed to do is to come behind and she's looking for one seed at a time. And you can imagine that if she took home a handful of grain at the end of the day, she would consider it to be a good day. Now verse 3, the story picks up and it says, As it turned out, almost it sounds like by chance, as it turned out, she found herself working in the field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. And so we recognize right away, we know where the story's going. This Boaz character is going to be the one that helps Ruth out. But she doesn't know that. And it almost sounds that as it turned out, it was just by chance. But we know full well, having the big picture that it wasn't just by chance that she ended up in Boaz's field. This is the Lord's work. This is his guidance. It's a passage full of surprises. Ruth doesn't know where this is going, but but here she finds herself in uh, Boaz's field. Now, we learn a little bit more about Boaz in verse 4. We already know he's a man of standing, He's the type of guy that he walks into a restaurant and they don't put his name on the waiting list. They say, here's your table, Mr. Boaz. He's a guy that's got power. But now we learn about his character in verse 4. Just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. It's the first words off of his tongue. The Lord be with you. And it doesn't seem that it's just something he says for the sake of saying it. My guess is, and I think as we read this passage, we'll find this to be true. This is a man who loves the Lord. He's a godly man. And right away, the workers respond. The Lord bless you, they call back. In other words, it's not a forced thing. This is a man that has treated them fairly for a long time. Treated them with dignity. And he's there, and he begins to look over his field. He owns this field. He's a wealthy man. And so he comes alongside of his foreman, verse 5, and uh, Boaz asks the foreman of of his harvesters, "Whose uh, whose young woman is that? In other words, who does she belong to? She's trying to figure out, I've never seen her before. And I imagine Boaz is there with his foreman, and he's, looking over the field, and he's like, how's that crew doing? Oh, they're doing quite well, Mr. Boaz. They've, they've covered a whole half acre just this morning. And, he, and how's that crew over there doing? Oh, they're, they're doing quite well as well, Mr. Boaz. Everything is going smoothly. And then he says, and, and who's that young lady over there? I've, I've never seen her before. Oh, Mr. Boaz, if you want me to get rid of her, I can get rid of her right now. No, no, it's fine. I just want to know who she is. Um, I don't know exactly. I've, I've heard that she is a Moabite woman who has come to, uh, to the area, and she's just following behind picking the grain. Well, what is a young... She doesn't have a husband? No, no husband, sir. Uh, what is a young woman doing here in Israel... If she's from Moab and she doesn't have a husband, well, she came to help her mother-in-law out. 
Her mother-in-law, well, what's, what's her husband's name? Well, he's passed away as well. His name was Elimelech. Elimelech, Elimelech. I used to have a cousin named Elimelech. Is, that the, uh, is this the man that was living in Moab for 10 years? Yes, that's the one, sir. And he begins to hear all of Ruth's story, and her kindness touches his heart. And he says to the foreman, I'm going to, at lunchtime, I want you to bring your crew in, and I want you to let them know very sternly, very strictly, they are not to harm this woman. And in fact, I want you to pull them aside. I'm going to have her eat lunch with us. I know that's not the normal custom, but she's going to come and eat lunch with us, and I'm going to talk to her, and I just want to share with her that, uh, that she has done a wonderful thing in helping her mother-in-law. And my hope is that God repays her. But you tell your workers that they are to leave some grain behind so that she has stuff to find, so that she can take something home at the end of the day. And so notice the lunch uh, conversation that takes place in verse 11. Boaz has pulled Ruth aside and says, I've been told all about you. What you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband and how you left your father and mother and homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel under whose wing you have come to take refuge. And I'm sure that Ruth hears that and says, what are you talking about? I'm not doing anything to be repaid. I'm just trying to do what I sense that the Lord is calling me to do. In fact, look at her response in the next verse. May I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord. She looks at it as all grace. May I find favor in your eyes, uh, uh, my Lord. You have given me comfort and have spoken kindly to your servant. Though I, do not des- though I do not have the standing of one of your servant girls. And so Ruth uh, hears Boaz's words. And Boaz is commending her for her kindness. And now she sees it as kindness from him. This is an act of grace. And Ruth is caught off guard. Boaz's kindness has caught her by surprise. I have three points I want to make this morning about following God's surprises. And the first point is this, that you will be surprised at how God uses you when you are faithful to him. I really do believe that. Sometimes we do all kinds of stuff and they don't seem like a big deal to us. We're simply just trying to be faithful to God. And yet somebody else looks at that and they think, wow, you're really doing something fantastic and it's making a big difference in, uh, in my life or in someone else's life. When I was in seminary, uh, someone came and wrote a magazine article about me. And... Uh, In fact, I googled my own name, and I could still find this picture. This was the picture of a young 20-year-old, Pastor Corey. In fact, I wasn't Pastor Corey at that time. I was just Corey. And, uh, and, And this one in this magazine that was mailed out to thousands of churches and thousands of homes all around the, all around the country. And, uh, 
I read that article about me and I thought, this is the weirdest thing in the world. Here they're writing about this ministry that I was overseeing at the time. And I thought, I'm just trying to do what the Lord has called me to do. It seemed like no big deal to me. And yet for uh, somebody, it caught their eye and it made a difference. Pastor, I, uh, I talked to Pastor Darren a while back. And, um, and uh, you know, a few years ago, he quit his job. He was vice president of Union Bank. Had a great job. And, uh, and I asked him, did it feel like a big deal when you quit your job? And he said, not really. Just trying to be faithful to the Lord. And uh, one day, I wonder if we will stand before God in heaven and, uh, and we will be surprised. In fact, some may be surprised that they don't receive the welcome that they anticipated. And some will be surprised that there is a huge line lining up to greet them and to say, man, you made such a big difference in my life. See, Ruth hears Boaz's words of, hey, may the Lord repay you for what you have done. May the Lord richly reward you. And uh, she hears all that and says, that doesn't make any sense to me. But she has made a difference in at least one person's life, and that is Naomi. And she will make a difference in Boaz's life as well. Ephesians 1, 7 and 9 through 9 says, I'm sorry, my notes got out of order here. Uh, oh, you know what? I want to back up just a second. There's a key part here that if we don't hit on it, we miss the whole passage. Uh, verses 19 and 20 are key here. Okay? Um, the, uh, as uh, Ruth is in Boaz's field, she comes home and uh, she hasn't brought a handful of grain. She's bought a whole bunch of grain. And uh, verse 19 says, this is uh, Naomi speaking, Where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man uh, who took notice of you. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one at whose place she had been working. The name of the man I worked with today is Boaz, she said. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her uh, daughter-in-law. He has not sh stopped showing kindness to the living and the dead. He, she added, the man is our close relative. He is one of our kinsmen redeemers. Now, I just wanted to pause there at this idea of kinsman redeemer. And uh, we don't have time to go into detail here, but the Old Testament uh, law gives allowance, or it gives uh, actually a command for those that are close relatives of someone who has uh, experienced great hardship for that relative to take care of the one that, has, uh, that is in a dire situation. 
And in this case, Naomi, it dawns on Naomi as she hears about this, Boaz is a kinsman redeemer. You see, Boaz is the one who will provide help. And the reason I want to pause on this is because we need to recognize, if we are to understand the application of this story, that Jesus is our kinsman redeemer. Jesus is the one who rescues us out of our sin and redeems us, rescues us out of any plight that we might find ourselves in. In fact, you may be coming this morning and your heart is broken, or you are grieving, or you are stressed, or your relationships are broken, or whatever it is, a sense of conviction upon your heart, and the answer is always Jesus. He is the kinsman redeemer. In verses 7 through uh, Ephesians 1, 7 and 9 says, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. In accordance with the riches of God's grace, He has lavished on us. In other words, God is not stingy with His grace. He lavishes it upon us with all wisdom and un- understanding. And He has made known to us the mystery of His will according to His good purpose, good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ. And so here is Ruth. And Ruth is surprised at how God has used uh, her to be faithful to him when, he, when she has been faithful to him. And I just want to encourage us again that when we are faithful to God, God will not be stingy with his grace, but he will lavish it upon us. Point two. God's surprises come in many forms. One of the ways that Ruth will be blessed is eventually she will get married to this man, Boaz. But in this passage, what we see the blessing come in the form of grain. And uh, in verse 17 it says, So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening, then she harvested, then she threshed the barley that she had gathered, and it amounted to about an ephah. How many of you know what an ephah is? Chuck knows what an ephah is. What is an ephah? How much is an ephah, Chuck? Wrong! Chuck does not know what an ephah is. An ephah is a lot more than a quart. An ephah, actually, if you, uh, if you add it all up, is six and qu- one quarter gallons. Uh, that is a lot of grain. And uh, don't worry, Chuck, I didn't know this before this week either, okay? And so I did some research. Six and, uh, six and one quarter gallons of grain. That's a lot of grain, especially when you thought you were bringing home a handful And the grain here for uh, us, for for Ruth, it's quite literal. But for us, I just want us to understand that in some way this is symbolic for us. That God's uh, grace just keeps coming. That God lavishes His kindness upon us. And it makes such a big difference in our lives. And so let's just think about this for a moment. we got six... And uh, six and a quarter gallons to fill up. And I'm going to fill this all the way up. And I just do this because I want, us to, I want it to sink in all the ways that God has been kind to us. 
Has there ever been a time in your life where you were so stressed out and you did not know where uh, God's help was going to come from? And then you were moved from emptiness to fullness. That's what we see happening in this passage, where God's grace is just poured out in our lives. And there have been times when, in my own life, where I didn't know where I was going to get help. I was at my wit's end, and you know what? God's grace came in the form of a person, a friend, someone who came and offered an encouragement. Maybe my spouse, maybe it was the prayer of a loved one, but I was moved from emptiness to fullness. And how many of you have experienced God's grace in that way? And maybe some of you have felt that there were times in your life where you were far from God. And your heart was apathetic and your heart was cold. And it was by the Spirit that God moved in your life and He lavished His grace upon you and you, move, and you moved from emptiness to fullness. And how many of you have been through this at most difficult of times where you felt like Naomi, you couldn't get up in the morning, you didn't have the emotional energy to get out of the house, and then all of a sudden, there's a spark of hope. And it comes from the Lord's work in your heart, and you're moved from emptiness to fullness. And there are times in our lives where we don't know, even financially, you don't know where the, where the money's going to come from to make ends meet. And you cry out to the Lord and somehow God provides and our hearts are warmed and we move from emptiness to fullness. And how many of you have cried out to the Lord uh, in prayer and asked Him, God, just do this. And we almost expect this much. We hope just for a little bit of answered prayer. But in, in some way, God does far more than that, and we're moved from emptiness to fullness. And there are those in our lives that we have been praying for for years and decades. And maybe you've, you've even written them off and thought, they will never come to faith. And then all of a sudden, God works in their heart and He begins to move. In fact, we will hear some testimonies along these lines at the Baptism and New Membership Sunday next week. And, uh, and God works and it is His grace and we are moved from emptiness to fullness. And there are times in our lives where we just do not have peace because we don't know where God's help is going to come from. And we might not even pray about it. But somehow, in hindsight, we recognize that God moves and we are moved from emptiness to fullness. Six and a quarter gallons of grain Ruth brought home that day. And I just want to remind us that God's grace is poured out upon us lavishly. And some of us come this morning and our hearts are broken and we're not sure where our help is going to come from. You may be burnt out 
You may be grieving. You may be weak. You may just be frustrated or tired. And where does our, uh, great, where does our help come from? It comes from the kindness of God that He just keeps pouring out uh, His uh, mercies upon us. The third point this morning is to open our eyes for God's surprises. You see, God's kindnesses are really all around us. And it just takes spiritual eyes to see. The sin in this world and all the distractions around us sometimes makes it so that we don't actually recognize all that God is doing for us. These are my prescription glasses. And uh, I actually don't even wear these very much anymore. I'll be honest, it's kind of a weird thing, but my eyesight used to be worse than it is now. I don't even need my glasses anymore. But a number of years ago, I needed glasses. And I remember when I first got my glasses, I walked out of the eye doctor and I thought, is this the way the world's supposed to look? Have you experienced that? Everything just, you didn't even know it wasn't that way. You, just, every, this, you thought this was the norm. And you put it on and all of a sudden everything is just so crisp and clear. And I just want to encourage us to put on spiritual lenses, so to speak. And to recognize all that God is doing around us. Look for God's kindnesses to you all around you. Chelsea went on the women's retreat this past week, past weekend. Had a great time. Her favorite time, I think, was uh, she was on, a, on the beach. They went to the beach one afternoon just to have time with the Lord. And she sat there and she just reflected, Wow, well, isn't it wonderful that God's presence is here with me? And uh, as she heard the waves crash and she just meditated on God's word, she sensed that the Lord spoke to her and said, I'm with you all the time if, you, if we have eyes to see. This past week, she's sitting on the couch and uh, she's got a sick four-year-old on her lap. And, uh, uh, and she's thinking, man, I really wish I could get up and uh, get some stuff done around the house. Uh, but the only way this little uh, girl is going to be happy is if she's sitting on my lap. And all of a sudden, she's reminded that God's with her all the time. She doesn't have to be sitting on the bench. She can be sitting or on the beach. She can be sitting uh, on the couch in the living room with a sick child. But may we have eyes to see. May we recognize that God is with us all the time and is speaking to us through our friends, in the Bible, uh, in, in the things that are going on around us, in a song that we hear. If we have eyes to see, we will recognize God's kindness uh, to us all around us. And then secondly, we need to put on our glasses to open our eyes for God's surprises, and that is to look for opportunities to be kind to others. You see, that's where I think the application, uh, at least one of the applications for today's sermon is. What are opportunities that you have to be kind to others, to pray for others, to see each person as a, in your life as a gift from the Lord? And 
I think one of the best opportunities we have to show kindness to others is through encouragement. Am I right? That's one of the best ways that we can show God's kindness to others. I was talking to uh, someone in our church just this past week. And uh, in a sense, a feeling of burnout. And uh, just going through a really difficult stage in life. And uh, my heart's conviction was simply to encourage. May we all look for opportunities to show God's kindness to those around us. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your word, and I thank you for the example that Ruth and Boaz are to us. And God, I pray that you would stir within us Christ-like gentleness, that we would seek to be kind to those around us, and even, and even beyond that, just help us first to see your kindness to us. God, I pray that as we uh, leave this place today, that our that, our, that we'd have those spiritual uh, glasses on, maybe in ways that we did not have when we came this morning. Help us to see all that you are doing around us. And God, help us to realize that you're not stingy with your kindness. You're not stingy with your grace. But in fact, it fills up a whole lot. You're lavishing it upon us. And I pray that you would uh, help us to just uh, be able to um, rest in that and to find your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.